Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and with video here on YouTube. Uh, This week, I am going to be having a discussion, not a debate, not an argument, not, you know, a a war or battle of of wills, but a discussion uh, with a friend of mine. His name is Brandon Estrella, and he is... uh, if I am a sort of, I like to think of myself as relatively moderate centrist, but left-leaning on many things, especially social issues, uh, I think Brandon is, uh, we are friends, and I think Brandon would be maybe categorized as more right-leaning, uh, you know, it, but not extremist. And, uh, he's not a gun nut. I, w- I would never uh, typify Brandon as that. However... He has um, military and law enforcement training. He has been around guns his entire life. His father was a police officer. Uh, he comes from a line of, of uh, family who have been in, uh, involved in the military and law enforcement. And so he was educated, uh, as we'll go over, uh, fairly young on guns and gun control. And he has some pretty strong feelings about gun legislation and gun control and what that would entail. And he gave me a call and said, hey, maybe we should have a discussion about this. And I said, you know, that's a damn good idea. Uh, He happened to like my podcast about the Second Amendment, (laughs) which actually surprised me to give with what I know about him. Uh, So it was from there that we actually sprung into conversation about this. And that's actually the genesis of how we are now having this conversation now on my podcast. I've often been encouraged to get people of opposing views on my podcast, and I'm not going to go get some conspiracy nuts or something like that, because I think that's just kind of a waste of time to try to debate flat earthers or or people who think that, uh, you know, 9-11 was an inside job or something. I just can't go there. But, uh, but on this issue... There's a there's a lot of back and forth going on, and there's a, and we're not, and the, the point of this podcast is not going to be to trade statistics or argue about sources, but instead to talk more philosophically and and more from a, a position of can we find common ground on some of the issues that are very hotly debated right now. Um, there's a lot of emotion on this, and uh, and rightly so. It's a it's an important topic. Um, so. Brandon, welcome to my podcast. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I think this will be interesting. Yeah. Um, so first off, why don't you, in your own words, go ahead and give a little background for, about yourself and your um, knowledge of, of guns and gun regulations and, and that sort of thing. Sure. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm originally from Oxnard, California, uh, born and raised there. I grew up in a law enforcement family. Uh, my father was a law enforcement officer for 40 years, 10 years of that. Um, that 40 he spent as a chief of police in Fort Amy. Um, his father was a police officer, made sergeant. And then on the other side of my family was all military and, and uh, Navy. So, all right, military and Navy, same thing, but Navy. And uh, they served in World War II and then uh, some Vietnam. And so I guess just by my upbringing, I was probably just destined to be around firearms. And when I was around five years old, my father said, you know, if we're going to have guns in the house, 
I want him to understand how they work. I want them to understand that um, he needs to be safe around them. I want to take away that curiosity. And so that's where I learned my, I guess, gun enthusiasm. Because um, I was like six years old by the time I went to the range and started shooting. And then it's like, I kind of fell in love with it. And I think that just kind of inspired me to really pursue the, the hobby. Um, as I got older, I got into uh, different things like airsoft and paintball. I worked at a couple of gun stores uh, in my later 20s. And then I also worked uh, with the Oxnard Police Department as a district safety officer under Securitas private contracting. And then I also have some military training as well as um, law enforcement training. So for me, it's like second nature. Um, when I see a gun, I'm like, it's a gun. And I know some people feel differently about it. And I think that that is pretty much how America is right now. Some people see guns and they're like, and then some people see guns, it's like, it's a gun. So it's, as Chris said, it's a very passionate issue among this country. And I think that cooler heads will be the ultimate um, test of whether anything prevails or not. So um, right. that's why I reached out to you and wanted to have this conversation. So Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, by the way, for those who don't know, I was born in Port Winnie so we hey, have some com yeah, so we have some common ground already <laughs> because we're uh, we were both uh, coming from the same place. Uh, kind of funny. I grew up in uh, in Oxnard for the first couple of years, and then we moved down to um, Pomona in Pasadena, mm -hmm. and uh, when my dad went to college and then started working. Uh, okay, so. Let's go ahead and dive right in. First off, let's talk about gun control legislation. You know, not a big deal, not a huge topic, not a lot to talk about here, but maybe we could, you know, manage to come up with a couple words. Sure. Um, my take on this is that there is an awful lot of legislation at state and federal level across the United States, probably more than some people are aware of. Um, one of my issues is that it is not always enforced. That's a problem. Uh, one of my other problems are loopholes. Uh, people can buy guns at gun shows and things like that. Classically, this has been represented as a sort of wild, wild west almost of, of no gun legislation when it comes to being able to get a gun from somebody else through Craigslist or through you know some other means. Um, and so I have been sort of a, um, you know, my, my position on guns is not let's just ban all guns. I want all guns gone forever because the Second Amendment exists and it is a right that we have and I am not an advocate to for repealing the Second Amendment. I did that whole podcast talking about the Second Amendment to sort of clarify what did it say? What was its intent? And that has, I have come to learn actually even since you and I spoke, Brandon, I've learned even more about it in terms of how uh, various PR campaigns and efforts have been run in order to get people to reinterpret what the Second Amendment means. I covered some of the legal interpretations of it in my podcast, but then there is a public perception of it mm -hmm. that has been worked on you know, since the 70s. But getting down to the legislation, uh, this is something you're familiar with. And I, I was kind of curious, what is your view on strengths and weaknesses of gun legislation? in America overall. And, and I know it's a very generalized question, sure. but you know, uh, overall, we won't get into 
oh well there's statute 1b in montana right, no. that said you know generalization yeah right. so i know we're talking in broad terms here but go ahead and give me your what's your take on all this well i think whenever we try to make a law we do a law that we feel that will work but and again just and i'm coming from my own personal experience on this being born and raised in california and then moving to arizona was a total culture shock and because out oh, here God. it was like you walk into a gun store and for a gun or it's like oh you know it's like oh wow and when you go into california it's like okay i guess i can go pheasant hunting during the spring you know and it's just, and I'm, I'm kind of being a little you know dramatic about it but it's it's very hard to get a firearm legally in California. Um, they, it's probably one of the strictest states with gun laws and legislation, um, as well as New York City, I think, is probably... New York, California, and Chicago, I believe, are the toughest states um, to... or cities and whatnot to have legislation. And I grew up with that, but I saw it kind of start as just a minor restriction and go up. So I started seeing it through, you know, the wormhole and whatnot. And what I noticed, and again, this was just my interpretation for also seeing crime on the streets and not, and it didn't do anything. And I asked myself, why? If there's all these laws, why did it do anything? And so then my state has what's called a assault rifle ban that was implemented in 1989 by Dianne Feinstein. And it basically, um, banned anything that had aesthetics such as a, pistol grip, a um, carry handle, a flash hider, um, detachable magazine, basically things that don't affect the, the firearms lethality in my view. And so then there was also a magazine. The, the, I'm sorry, was that word the lethality, how lethal the weapon is? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I just want to clarify that word. Yeah. Right. And it's, um, so I looked at it, I was like, why do we have these things? And, you know, and so I just kind of looked at it as like, all right, I'm affected by this, but nobody else is. And it was, for me, very hard to be into the shooting sports, especially since, you know, it was, I see all these other states that I see on the internet and they're just having a good time. Um, but then in 1999, we saw the Columbine shooting. So that was kind of like, well, how did they get their guns? How did, you know, how did this happen? And then after that, there was a call for more legislation and then more was passed in my state and very little in others. So the type of stuff your, that they're trying- Your state's still being California at that time. Yes, at this time, yes. And um, so I think it comes down to is that we all want something to happen, um, but I think there's a lot of people that are uninformed about the mechanics, about aesthetics of a firearm, about who generally uses them, and what types of firearms are really involved in crimes versus ones you know, virtually, I'm sorry, versus ones that are plastered all over the TV. And because if you ask me, when I know all the people who own the things that they're trying to ban, they would never hurt a fly. And then I know a bunch of other people, you know, that have the exact same thing that they're trying to ban and wouldn't hurt a fly either. And then so I think the way when legislation comes at us, the way we look at it is like, okay, so less than 10 people have done something wrong when you have 200 million people that haven't done anything wrong how does it make sense? And I think it's really hard for somebody that is either in the industry, that is a competition shooter that does three gun or something like that, or is a collector, a builder or whatever, somebody who's a good person 
and somebody who is disgusted by any time somebody gets hurt with whatever, whatever the tool may be. But we also look at it as like, how is it, if I go like this, is that going to save somebody else? And I think that's the disconnect that maybe the other side has on the average gun owner. So when we see legislation like this come down the pipe, it's like, okay, I am with you 110% that I don't want to see this happen. I am with you that we should punish the criminal. But how does that work when you come after Arthur? It's like, right. I, and, I, and then also, I think that there's a disconnect on both sides. I think that the gun owner looks at the person that wants legislation and to try to save lives is that they want all guns banned. And I think sometimes on the other side, they look at the, as a gun owner as one of those guys that are like, oh, you got to kick down my door. I'm going to kill all the government. You know, those. The extreme- well, yeah, I mean, and that was that, you know, for sure, because that is a uh, is definitely put out there. I mean, when, sure. you know, within what was it, two weeks of Columbine, Charlton Heston goes out there and is like, you know, raises his shotgun above his arms and from my cold, dead hands, will you pry my gun? You know, this is not the height of sensitivity. And, you know, a little tone deaf when it comes to people who are grieving, uh, you know, over gun death to be advocating, okay, well, yeah, it really sucks that somebody died, but you're not taking my fucking gun. Pardon my well, French. Yeah, so, well, you know, so I, I think I think responsible gun owners could do better in how they talk about this. Can I ask you a question real quick? And this is something yeah. that I've, I've been thinking about. And what would you say about this? Say that I'm a race car driver. All yeah. right. Say I'm like Danica Patrick or something like that. You know, doing NASCAR, you know, never ran over anybody, never drink and drive. But say that the guy that I raced with decides to one day get in his car, drunk out of his mind, smashes into a minivan, kills a family of, say, five. Yeah. Am I supposed to stop racing because of what that totally unrelated person did. And I think that's how gun owners look at it. And oh, no, ab- no, absolutely. But, what's I- supposed to, but what should happen is the guys who are race car drivers, for example, just to carry this analogy forward, should be making advertisements, commercials, posters, PR campaigns, advocating for safe driving, advocating for people to not drive drunk, saying... I am a responsible car driver and you should be too because that is the right way to do it. I have yet to see anything come out of anywhere in in a broad sense, in a PR sense. Uh, When I talk about PR, I'm talking about, you know, public relations campaigns, which is how these groups present themselves in order to change hearts and minds and influence opinion. I don't see that. And I, right. I, you know, I don't think I should have to dive into a, you know, a gun magazine to see that sort of thing. I think sure. that sort of thing should be out there. You know, yeah. that's what I'm talking about is like that would be what I would expect a responsible car driver or car racer to do. Therefore, you know, I carry that analogy forward to gun ownership and I go, look, it's a right we have. It at right, like all of our rights, is modified and controlled and regulated to various degrees by laws, just like free speech is. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. There are regulations. There should be regulations on the Second Amendment, but those regulations should work. But do we <laughs> tell that person they can't come in the theater because of what they might do? You know, like, hey, you might yell fire, so you need to stay out of the auditorium. 
So no, but the point is that free speech is not any speech. It's not. We a regulate right. hate speech. Sure. We regulate yeah. this, right? We don't yeah. say you can't talk. Right. We just say, hey, look, if you're going to talk, you're going to talk responsibly, or sure. we're going to have something to say about it. Now, it would it, you you change behavior, but through education, through cultural references, norms. Uh, through precedent, through expectation, by raising responsibility, by Absolutely. encouraging and rewarding good responsibility, uh, you know, good training, good education, and you punish bad behavior. So you, you, it's always reactive. You can't, you can't, you know, know what every single person's going to do, and you can't, you know, you, you know. So you, yeah, you don't keep everybody out of the theater because they might yell fire, but you certainly encourage healthy good speech and you punish bad speech and that's how sure. this sort that's how this this sort of thing works you know and i i, I think you know and, and commenting on what you're saying there yeah. and just looking at like what happens after every shooting um gun owners always feel like they have to go on the defense um right and because if somebody told me they said i would love to wake up one day and just know that nobody's going to try to take this away from me or nobody's going to try to limit this or, you know, come and like kick down my door. And that is a fear that I think that that comes from the deepest part of having that love for trust. And I think the individual, I'm just speaking for myself here, but yeah. I, I might be speaking for others in this, in that I like to know that my society trusts me to make responsible decisions. You know, I've never caused an accident with my car. I've never, you know, hurt anyone with many of many of my guns. And so it's like I feel when people are like, blah, 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 you know, just going after you, I feel it's all like you kind of get the, the why me feeling. And I know that sounds kind of selfish, but if it happened just once, you know, it's like if they went after the criminal or like, how did he do this? Let's work with them on how we can do it. But it's like, no. He did this. Now let's go after them, and that's how we feel about it. Well, yeah, but but, but you're hearing what I'm saying, right? About like right. advocate responsible use. I don't see that happening, and so so what I see is people responding fearfully, and and believe me, this whole business of they're coming to take our guns, this is a line that is pushed on you guys. I mean, this isn't just like some random fear. This has been something that's been talked about since the '80s. They're coming to take your guns. They're coming. This is why the immediate response after every mass shooting or gun incident is, ah, and the gun sales go up and this sort of thing. Apparently, when Obama was in office, and this was really being pushed hard by NRA and other, and other groups, I am not making the NRA out to be the sole bad guy on this. We'll talk about the NRA, I hope, before the end of the, the show here. But um, there's lots of groups that do this. And, sure. Uh, but... But let's face it, there's a financial incentive there, too. You know, Obama comes in, and they're coming to take your guns. Gun sales skyrocket, right? Up, up, up. There's gun sales, gun sales, gun sales. Trump goes in office, gun sales crash. Yeah, that was a bad time for gun owners because nobody felt threatened, and he's the one that's actually pushing more legislation than the previous president. <laughs> exactly. So if you were a gun manufacturer or a gun lobbyist or somebody who was profiting from the sale of guns through some means or another, wouldn't it be in your best interest to create a fearful environment amongst gun owners or potential gun owners to get them to buy more guns? That's just, that's just from yourself. their perspective, that's good business. Absolutely. From everybody yourself. else's perspective, it's fucking insane because it's fear-mongering. 
right? If somebody, if somebody said they're going to stop making a Dodge Charger SRT8, I'm going to save every penny I got and go and buy a Charger SRT8. Remember right. when Twinkies? Remember when Twinkies and Hostess went off the shelf? <laughs> right. People were like on eBay, I'm going to buy all this. So people react That's right. here. You know, they but, it's a, but it's a false narrative because nobody's come. I mean, that's just not happening. And People it's not going to, get... to happen in the U.S. Nobody's going to repeal the bill, of, you know, the Bill of Rights or the Second Amendment. No. And they're not coming to your door to come take your guns. So it's a so so to us, to the people on the left who are like, can't we have more sanity and regulation in this so that the bad guys, we'll call them, don't get the guns? Instead, all the good guys who have the guns are like, well, you're not taking mine. Well, <laughs> we're not trying to if you're a good guy. We're and trying see, to keep the guns out of the hands of the bad guys. And if, and it would seem to me that it would be a really good place for us to find if we could find a place where we both go, let's figure out how to do that. I agree. You yeah. Know? And that so, was the advocacy that was happening post-massacres and gun shootings. But we're not hearing people like yourselves. The strongest, most reactive, most radical person comes out. You have like, you know, 50 people on a JPEG straight on the internet says repeal the second. You said, come and take it, we're coming. Like these are signs that exist. And they're like, we don't want just bump stocks. We're coming for them all. And right. it's like- And see, and that's hilarious because then I, never, is, like, I, never even, I never even see those memes. That's what's so well, funny. I don't make them. I don't, I would, I would well, not share them. I would not, that would be just as, for me, that those guys are just as extreme as the you're going to pry the gun out of my cold, dead hand, right? To me, those are both, like, so it's funny how, it, it is funny, it's, it's tragically funny how both of us see the extremism and we're responding to the extremism, um, and that's, that's, yeah, and that's created, that extremism is created on both ends. There are, you know, I don't want to get all weird and the dark forces are at work. But, you know, when you see somebody had to make that stuff and then somebody sure. had to go and post it and share it and think that that's a good thing. But there, there are small groups on both ends that that everybody in the middle is arguing about. You know, when I when I first saw panic buying, it was after the president came out and said, I'll think that we should ban military style assault weapons. I was at the gun store. We were watching it live on TV. I saw guys that were buying shotgun ammo. I saw guys that were buying like Winchester stuff, you know, older type guns. And they're like, how many AR-15s do you have? And I was like, oh, about 4,000 in the back. I want 10. And then like after that guy came the next guy and all of a sudden it's like, tick, 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 tick. they all ran off the shelves. And I was like, we're closed boys. <laughs> and then right. the next day I got to work and there was trucks, cars lined up down all the way down the street with pallets buying out all the ammo. They cleaned us out. The only thing left was like a bird gun, a couple 12 gauges, some Winchesters. And I was like, oh my God. And it took us forever to get inventory. And I bet like Smith and Weston and Cole were like, good, good, you know? And Right. And like, that's pretty, and that's a pretty sick state of affairs that they're rubbing their hands together saying, good, good, because that's the response in the wake of human misery and death and tragedy. What? I don't think that, you know, they're they're happy that people got shot, but I think they're happy to make a dime. You know, that's just business, you know, like, well, I can't... I'm saying the fear mongering is good business for them. Oh, absolutely. Any fear mongering you know? is good business. Hostess probably shot up the stock, you know, when the Twinkies <laughs> were going out to show. Well, let's just say I was really happy when I found out Hostess had been, had been salvaged from bankruptcy. Hey, man. Um, Twinkies all right. Well, let's... 
<laughs> let's let's talk about you know what would you agree to as far as you know the 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 question we're all focused on or arguing about really in the end if you sift through all of the the rhetoric and the passion and the name calling and the the ad hominem and all the nonsense that goes on if you can kind of push that all to the side it seems to me that the question that really is trying to be answered is how do we prevent this sort of thing from happening how to out of control gun violence tragic innocent lives being lost whether it's in a school or at a mcdonald's or at a post office or, or anywhere in the world, right? How, how do we, we let the right? How do we let the right people have them and keep them out of the people that shouldn't have them? Exactly. You know? Because and, clearly, can we agree that what's happening right now isn't working? Isn't working to the degree that it should? And you know what? And I've thought about this, and mm -hmm. I've, I've done a lot of thinking. And I remember, like, I was a child of the '80s. I remember going into gun stores when you could buy machine guns. You know, and we didn't have that type of stuff back then. Sure, the cartels did each other in. You know, the street crime is always going to be there. But yeah. the type of lone wolf going to the school, Columbine was the first time I saw that. And then it happened again in my state, in California, even after the assault weapons ban went bad. Like Kip Kinkle and a bunch of other people, like they, it just kept on happening. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is happening? And I'm like, how do we stop it? Like, it's, I think it's also a change in society. I think that human beings as a whole have become very disconnected with empathy. I think they're very much involved in themselves. And I think that we also negate to care about the other person and what that other person's going through. And a point that I was talking to a couple of friends uh, last weekend was that when I was a kid and when I was playing, my friends knew what was going on in my personal life because we weren't all on Facebook. We weren't in our rooms secluded playing video games. You know, I'm not saying video games are the, the, you know, the catalyst for this stuff, but if you're not right in the head and you're shooting people all day in a virtual reality type system, probably not the best, you know, and it might give you. I mean, you would, th you would think so. It's one of the things that defies um, what people will think is common sense. There's not one study and there have been many of them done on this that can find any correlation between video game violence and real world violence and in fact just the opposite because people who otherwise might have those pent up feelings of rage and anxiety and frustration get to take it out i will speak from personal experience that is certainly the case with me you know i sometimes i'll just go like you know on a on a rage quest on grand theft auto and and you know 10 minutes after shooting a few people I'm all good, you know. Five stars. <laughs> yeah, maybe I shouldn't be saying that, but you know, it's a video game. There is no consequence to it, so I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I, and I have to say that because, because um, the studies do show what they show. These are not biased studies. These aren't left-wing studies. These oh, are, know. you know, oh, long-term studies. This has been a concern since the '80s. When I grew up, when I was in uh, high school, Dungeons and Dragons was the was the satanic. Thing. There was a big, there was a big flurry about Satanism, and Seven Hundred Club. Pat Robertson was going on a roll. Tipper Gore wanted to, you know, was was putting ratings on albums because music was tainting and and you know destroying the lives of our youth. Because this is when N.W.A. and Dre and these guys and you know uh, the 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 heavy uh, rap, you know, explicit lyrics type stuff was coming out. Yeah, basically, <laughs> you know, the stuff we all look back now fondly at, oh, those classic good old days, you know, yeah. 
uh, I mean, they, you know, everybody was just alarmed and freaking out, and they really didn't have any cause to be freaking out and alarmed any more than anybody did back when Elvis Presley was swinging his hips around. You know, it's just sort of the nature of the older generation that they're going to freak sure. out about what the younger generation is doing. But there's no scientific basis for that freak out. Uh, and that's the only point I wanted to make on that. Okay. But yeah, I will agree with you. I will definitely agree with you all day, every day about the influence of social media possibly being uh, something that has interiorized people's attention spans and has created. And again, studies have been done on this, uh, that it has increased people's anxiety levels, depression levels, you know, rage levels because of the, the fighting that can happen on social oh. media. I'll admit, like straight from my own personal experience, that if I am plugged from social media, I feel a lot better about things. I'm not Me depressed too. because I see like like happy couples happy, you know, because yep. of my own relationship with the shams. I'm not super scared because I see like moms demand actions, seeing an AR-15 in flames, you know, like or stuff that I have, like you know, we're coming for them, and I'm like ah. So if I am plugged from that, I'm just like, cheat. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> so it's it's yeah. real. It, it does cause a lot of anxiety. And then I think the other thing too that I wanted to just shoot out there is there seems to be a lot of a lot of over prescribing of SSRIs. And I don't it's know. It's talked that's... about that way, but if you drill down into it, um, it's contestable. It's contestable. There are there, again there. Are, there's, I am not a big pharma advocate. Uh, I came from Scientology where it was every drug was bad under every circumstance, period. Uh, now I've gotten some you know, perspective and some, some ability to think in spectrums on that, that some people are helped by it, some people are not. It's, uh, it's not an exact science by any stretch. Um, I do believe that, that young children are prescribed these drugs too often. Uh, as a way to um, chemically babysit them. Uh, I don't think that's so good. Uh, so, yeah, I have something to say on that, too. But I, um, I don't know that it's contributive to the, the, the gun violence situation. This is something Scientology was all about. Every time there was somebody who had an incident, find out what psych drugs they were on and blame it on the drug. Yeah, blame Ritalin, blame Prozac. Yeah, Prozac, blame this, blame that. And yet, you go, okay, maybe that's a factor, but we're talking about a very small number of people who go into these extreme gun violence things, sure. and you have all these other people who are on these drugs who are not doing that. Right, so, it's just like legal gun owners in a way. It's like, well, you know. I, yeah, and yeah. again, I'm not, I know it's not a matter of blaming the gun, but um, as I said in my podcast, a gun does have a, it, it has a very specific purpose, which is different sure. from a car, a knife, a hammer, uh, other tools. And that's why I just throw that whole thing out the window. Right. It makes it just, easier for somebody to kill. Yeah. A Absolutely. gun has, has one precise purpose. It was built solely to kill people. It's very a good. A hammer, a knife, these things are tools that were built for other purposes. That's why I don't analogize cars and guns, for example, so much. Except in the case of regulations. I really, really do wish we had licensing. Um, but well, let's get back into the thing on regulations. We talk about... Um, I'm sorry, was there question. something you were going to say there? Yeah, let me ask you something real quick. Yeah. What, what, if you could just throw out one thing that you feel that has changed since 
I'd say the early 90s, because, you know, again, like I said, we're always going to have street crime. You know, gang members are always going to be gang members, you know, for the most part, unless there's I'd a way we can help to, them. I have to take it back to the 80s, because when I was 80s. in high school, uh, I don't know if you remember this or, no, well, you wouldn't remember necessarily, but know about this, but there was the first mass shooting I was ever aware of what happened at a McDonald's in, in the San Diego area. A uh, guy walked in there. He had a, a machine gun. He had a pistol. I think he had a shotgun. I mean, this guy went in there with a with a little arsenal. And I think he, I remember hearing about that. And he took out a whole bunch of people at a McDonald's. And I'll never, ever forget my entire life the image of a bicycle of a like a 8, 9, 10-year-old out in the parking lot that this guy took out this kid and this bike was just falling over outside. And uh, it was... It was huge. It was like no one had ever seen anything like this. And um, and I remember being, I remember it so clearly because I was in high school at the time. We, of course, made jokes about it because we didn't know how to deal with our feelings sure. about it. And I made a joke about it to my mom. And she actually said, come with me. And she put me in the car. And we drove to McDonald's. And she said, we're going to have, we're going to buy some food. And she was trying to, you know, show me that uh, it was not, you know, just because that had happened there doesn't mean, you know, McDonald's is now an unsafe place and we should fear right. the world and, and everybody should be walking around in fear all the time was the point she was trying to get across to me. Um, but that's why that incident sort of branded itself in the side of my head. And that was from the 80s. And how and, often did uh, it happen from then on? Well, I, there, the, the point I wanted to make on it was that that was the time period when Dungeons and & Dragons and Satanic Cults was the, was the flavor of the month as far as why things were happening that were bad. And I want to point out that nobody now is blaming Dungeons & Dragons or Satanic Cults for mass violence because it's just not the right reason for why it happens. And so that's why I kind of eschew the whole video game thing, too, I go, mm, yeah, no, when you look at, you know, all the people who did this and, you know, people are striving to find what's the common denominator. And I don't know that there is a common denominator, but it's not what we do know that it's not is it's not Dungeons and Dragons. It's not satanic cults and it's not video games and it's right. not psych drugs because not every one of these people who has gone out and done these things has been on medications either. Yeah, and in fact, no, there's a good argument to make that some of these people should have been on some medications. Yeah, and that's yeah. the other thing, too, that uh, before we move on to the next thing, yeah. I don't want it to become like uh, a narrative that if somebody takes medication that they're bad. I think that's kind of a stigma right. that a lot of people have. And that's, that's kind of scary because then that stops that person from seeking the help that they need. And, exactly. You know, so that's thing, that thing is pushed a lot. And when I said that I feel that sometimes people overprescribe, I'm, I'm saying in those rare circumstances. And yeah. But it's like that's something you have to work out with you and your doctor. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. But, you know, again, mental health is just something I feel that is very, very looked over. And I, and I think it needs to be more enforced. But how much is, like, mental health? But, I mean, we can go on for that for days. Well, no, there's a thing. There's a difference between scapegoating mental health and saying all these guys are just crazy. Oh, it's just mental health issues. It's not the guns, it's mental health. And I, you know, I react to that and I go, okay, that's deflection. Um, you know, there's a, there's, there's, there's a number of factors here. We don't have to argue about it being that there's a single reason why these things happen. You know, there's a multiplicity of reasons. Um, why do you feel it's more like a couple months now? 
is my point. Like, I guess. I'm sorry, say it again. Why do you think now that, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but why do you feel it's like, okay, we had Las Vegas, six months later we had Florida, and then, you know, like three months later we'll have another one. Why do you feel it is sporadic? Do you feel it's copycats? Do you feel like it's people are feeling that this is the only way I can get my anger out and be noticed about it? Like, I mean. I would say, I would say that it is, that each instance needs to be looked at for itself. Uh, you have religious influence. You have cult influence, right? Uh, you know, the guy, uh, the Florida shooting, the, the Florida nightclub shooter, uh, claimed he was doing that because of, of his religious influence. Uh, you have, uh, but then, on the, you know, then you have uh, um, the guy, you have prejudice of racial uh, influences. I mean, who was that guy who went in a year ago and shot up a church in the South? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't think of his name, but yeah. not that I want to say it, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I don't memorize all this stuff. You know, I mean, yeah. I, have, I, have, I have general ideas of this stuff, and I can look them up, but, um, but you have a multiplicity of, of reasons. It's try, it, to me, it's kind of like trying to find a common denominator to all of insanity. <laughs> you right. know, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You know, you have genetic flaws, you have cultural flaws, you have educational flaws. You have uh, familial problems. I mean, there are so many factors that go into making us act the way that we do. Uh, so to pretend that there is one reason for any of this, I think, is a little bit silly. Um, you have to, you know, and, and if it was that easy, we would have nailed it by now because we've had a ton of these shootings and you, people don't find common denominators between these things. They don't find economic common denominators. They don't find cultural, background, education, all these things I just laid out, there isn't a commonality between them. They come from different places for different reasons. Sure. So then when you look at that, you go, okay, uh, either there isn't a common denominator or we haven't found it yet and maybe we're not capable of finding it yet because we don't know what makes people tick well enough. We need so much advance in psychology and psychiatry, we are so just barely out of the dark ages on those in those fields. I'm talking about like we're only decades beyond the dark ages oh, when yeah. it comes to psychiatry. I mean, they, you know, they would just do anything they could to just shut people up, lock them away, put them in straitjackets, chemical straitjackets. You know, all of that is was barbarism, and we're yeah. just barely coming out of that age. Well, they you know, don't know why somebody. Well, I was going to say, they don't know why somebody has anxiety attacks versus their brother doesn't, you know? Right. So it's just exactly. all, it's just guesstimation at this point. That's and, right. There's so much work that needs to be done on that still. Tons and tons of work. So we, so we know that, yes, you could say and be accurate in saying that these people have mental health issues. If you define mental health issues as somebody who's willing to, you know, senselessly slaughter other people because of their own delusions or fantasies or, or weird ideas. Yeah, sure. Great. It's mental health. But we don't got no microscope into somebody's head yet. We don't know enough about the brain and, and genetic factors and, and other reasons to, to screen this well enough to be 100%, 100% of the time. Right. So we can and we should do I think more screening, but we but it's a imprecise activity at best. 
which is why you go, well, if that's not really, if we're not up to speed on that yet enough to be able to know, to peer into people's heads and see, then we have to have other regulations in place that are going to prevent this as much as we can. We can't stop it any more than we can stop people getting angry. Yeah. You know, we're, I talk about psychiatry being just beyond the dark ages. In a broader scale, we're barely past the dark ages as yeah. human beings. You know, we haven't really changed that much. If you were to, uh, I've joked, if you could pluck somebody out of ancient Egypt and stick them in now, or Rome and stick them in now, other than bringing them up to speed on how to talk, pretty much it's the same guy, you know, as, as somebody born yesterday. I mean, there's not like we've evolved so much over the last 2,000 years. Right, no. Elated. You know? <laughs> well, what do you, th what do you think? Because, you know, like we look at countries like Japan and Australia, for example, right, that have much tougher uh, regulations as to who can own a gun and the process you have to go through in order to do it. I have looked at them as um, as models, not that I think, you know, because we have the Second Amendment that we can go as far as they have. But I look to some of what they do and I go, well, they seem to be doing something better than we're doing because they don't have gun violence the way we do. What are your what's your thoughts on that? I was looking at that over the last couple of weeks and then I looked at it this morning to also brush up. Yeah. I think one, Japan is a totally different culture. Um, well, that's so, for sure. And in a lot of ways, they're better than us. Um, you know, they, they respect their elders. You know, they, they're very courteous, respectful, something of honor and discipline. You know, something of uh, Japanese culture that I greatly admire. Um, you know, you and the United States can learn a lot from that. Um, I think they're a different culture. Also, we have the last projected count was about 370 million guns, give or take. That was in an 80s count. Now the, the way that people can make guns in their home, 3D printing, which is huge now, um, especially making ARs. You can print them all day in your house. Um, like I made four the other day. So um, you, I you mean, make them in your home? Yeah, super easy. Hit play. Wow. Yep. I can build it up in like 30 minutes. It's really easy. Wow. I mean, yeah, I just make them because I like building them, and then I, you know, I keep them all, and I go shoot them, and I add mods and whatever. I can do nerd talk for days, but, um, you know, and it's just uh, the other thing. So you take that 380, you know, 370 number, and then you multiply it by the type of, you know, guns that people make in their home, the kinds that uh, maybe get passed down to people or whatever, and then the kinds that I think it was over the election that there was over 200,000 new background checks done is what I was told by the DOJ. And so that's, you take a single 4473, which is the paper you do when you buy a gun, you can add up to like 10 guns on that and maybe more. But what I know is it's 10. So multiply that. So I'd be safe to say that we probably have around 700 million guns in the United States that, you know, that again are registered and maybe unregistered, which inherently isn't a bad thing if the person that has that gun is not a bad person. But with so many guns out there, how do you control them? Somebody that um, that I respect a lot, my father, who um, many be, may be surprised to hear this, but he's a very staunch Democrat. And he said that, I think if we were gonna do something about it, we should have done it a long time ago. He's like, because now the genie's out of the bottle. He's like, and you can't put it back in. And well, like, you know, I have to admit, I did not know you could print your own gun. 
Oh yeah, it's super easy. So for about 500 bucks, you can buy the printer and then you just like 30 bucks for the mold. And then you just put it on there, you hook it up to the computer, you download the file either, you know, depending on where your state tells you you can get it. If you can't get it in your state, then you don't really care about it because if you're a criminal, you don't care. If you're a good guy, you're like, they'll never know. It's plastic. I can just burn it up if I want to. Right. And then you just hit, you know, execute. And it's like, and then you shave it down a little bit, put on the upper receiver. And wow, that that is definitely not making me feel any better. Oh, I'm sorry, but yeah. well, no, because you and I spoke briefly uh, last night about you know the gun pipeline through the Philippines and mm-hmm. through uh, you know people will get guns by breaking and entering into the homes of gun owners uh, and just taking their guns, right? And with you know, with with the numbers you're telling me right now or estimating at, you're saying on average every single American has like two guns, two or three guns, because there's over 200 million people here in the U.S., right? Uh, there's about 230? 360 million oh, Americans. 300, 300, okay, even more. Yeah. So, right. so okay, and, yeah. So every American, every single person, babies to old people, and everybody in between, average of two guns. Yeah, I would say that the, your average gun owner, um, and again, you know, you have your gun owners that just keep a pistol locked up in their closet for home defense. That was my grandfather. He had like a break barrel shotgun that he used for dove hunting. Uh, then he had like a little snub nose 38. But people like myself, the new age gun owners that are into the hobby, the tournaments, the shooting, you know, the whole everything. Like it's our hobby just as like Jay Leno collects cars. I have about, well, not anymore, but at one time I had about 45 guns. And, wow. you know, but see to somebody like me, it's never enough because I don't look at it as a bad thing. It's like, if I'm out there working on my charger or something and I'm like, oh, I got a new part for my charger. It's like, I got a new part for my gun. I'm not mm-hmm. looking at myself as like, I'm the guy that's responsible for this or that, you know, I'm going out shooting with my friends, having a great time, taking selfies, taking my girlfriend shooting. So see, like that is where somebody, you know, who doesn't know really about guns or may not appreciate them or like them or whatever, is just like, oh my God, you had that many guns. And I'm like, yeah. You know, so, and I, and I think that's where the other thing is too. Well, yeah, okay, fair enough. So you're right in terms of uh, the number of them that are out there, the genie's out of the bottle, I suppose. And now that we know you can print them, that, that really makes it crazy because you, you know, trying to regulate that stuff on the internet, just forget it. Um, we just, we're just not there. I mean, it's just not, it's just not realistic. It's not a realistic expectation that you're going to be able to stop people from doing that at this point. So the only way... Uh-huh. I was going to say the only way that you would be able to, I guess, would regulate them would, and you know, and I'm not saying it's a fear anybody, but would be the door to door, you know, 1940s Germany style. But then again, some people are not going to give them up. They're going to bury them. There's memes on the internet that says, oh, I lost my gun in a boating accident, you know, or something like that. It's no, I, no, I, I, I get it. I don't know that a registry is the solution either. I would not advocate for a registry on almost anything. In California, so, my gun was registered. Um, it didn't yeah. bother me because whatever, you're welcome to check on it, you know. But it's, well, again, policing it's, such a thing is just is again a, a regulatory nightmare. What should we do? That's a million dollar question, isn't it? It is. I, I and I've man, I've talked to my parents about this. I've talked to other gun owners, people that were anti-gun, and we're all at this. 
what do we do? You know, how do we stop that guy that is so angry, that is just so out of his mind that he says, you know what, the only thing I can do right now is go and kill a lot of people. You know, and it's like, how do we stop people from getting to that point? I've looked at it as that, okay, like, yeah, gun control, I guess, but how do we stop somebody from even coming as a thought? You know what I mean? Like, how do we stop that person from getting there? And I'd say you pull at the root rather than just clip off the top of the tree because that tree is going to grow back. We still have that problem. So how do we go to the source? Mm-hmm. That is the biggest question, I feel. It's true. It is. Uh, you know, we need to, we really need to figure this out. Uh, maybe, maybe so much of the noise about this is just much ado about nothing because we're arguing over fliffle-fluffle and, you know, satanic cults and Dungeons and Dragons. Um, you know, I mean, there was, there were just as strongly heated debates back then. I remember them very clearly, you know, I was shouting at the TV at Pat Robertson, you old idiot. You know, I remember when nothing Bob, to do with that. You know, I remember when Bob Dole was talking about Mortal Kombat and he was like, we don't want people playing Mortal Kombat. I'm like, yeah, cause everybody's ripping at each other's spines clearly. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> so maybe a lot of this is just much ado about nothing. Right. But there has to be. Uh, something we can do about it. And, I feel uh, that. Sorry, please. Uh, I was. I was just saying. I, I feel like a lot of people on both sides are like, we don't want this to happen. And how do we go about getting rid of it? Is it even possible? And I'm just throwing out there, just as an ad, as if, if we did a blanket gun ban, if the ATF came down with choppers and tanks and started running for everybody's guns, then you'd have somebody do something else. Say we banned. Um, what they call military assault weapons. Um, in California, we had plenty of mass shooting with shotguns, Columbine shotguns, Navy Yard shooting shotguns. So how do we stop the guy from picking up any gun and saying, I'm going to kill a bunch of people? You know, and it's just like, honestly, I, I think one of the ways that we could start is we got to get a grip on this mental health thing. I think that, you know, people just... I, th- I think you're right. I think to be more, more accessible. Work. Yeah, I think more work needs to be done on that. And by more work, I mean a ton of damn work. Uh, you know, I'll stop swearing here, but yeah, it really, it, it really needs to pick up the pace. Uh, our our state of, of medicine in general isn't anywhere near as as good as we like to pretend in so many ways, and uh, and we really need to to deal with that head on. And that's a whole hornet's nest in itself, by the way. I mean, I could do a whole podcast on sure uh funding uh from the national institute of health and and national institute of mental health and who gets the money and who doesn't and the power plays and the bureaucracy and the the nonsense that goes on there would just make your head explode it is so frustrating so we have major problems there and we need to deal with that uh of course we don't want to scapegoat people who have mental health issues that have nothing to do with violence Right. You know, people who have depression, people who suffer from anxiety, people who have panic attacks. These are not the people we're talking about in it. And it, and it just gets it all gets into this mush of nonsense. And that's my worry. That's my yeah. worry about it, that. Yeah, it's it's not a good it's just it doesn't work to just say, well, it's a mental health issue and just OK, and that's it. And and, and care, let's just carry on. That right, doesn't they- work. The NRA came out and said, oh, this is purely and only a mental health issue. And we stopped if we stop people who are on medication or if we stop people who have mental, had a mental illness background, you know, from getting weapons, and it would all disappear. And I'm like, OK, I have panic attacks. Does that mean I have to give up my guns to Wayne LaPierre? 
You can go well, that's right. And that's, and that would be the first thing that would come out of that. Right. So, uh, so again, it requires, you know, it's the, the trick of drilling down into the details and, and, and context matters and the, the type of mental disorder matters and, and the, the history and there, I mean, there's just so much to, to that. So yes, I will certainly see that that subject, that area needs to be dealt with. We're, we're, we're way behind. We need to, and I, as far as I know, the whole world is behind on this. I don't think any other country oh, has, has figured this out. Yeah, right? Germany and Switzerland are still there as well, you know? It, yeah, precisely. However, we have this coping mechanism or this, this how do, what do we do in the meantime, by, is what I mean by coping, right? We're going to figure something out here, uh, which is that we have other countries, Japan, Australia, Switzerland. I mean, these, these, these other countries. They don't have as many world. guns as we do. Well, they don't have as many guns as they don't have as much gun violence. So I don't know that reducing the number of guns in the country is such a bad idea. I don't know that uh, more regulations, more sensible regulations are such a bad idea. I would like to enact this kind of legislation by working hand in hand with you guys rather than at a opposite ends right. with you guys. And by you guys, I mean even the NRA or gun advocacy groups or let's just call them re- this, 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 this sphere of responsible gun owners. Sure. You know, why, why do we have to be opposed? What is it that we've been sold on about you guys? And what is it that you guys have been sold on about us that prevents us from having conversations like this. I think that you and I are able to like put, you know, whatever feelings we have uh, about the certain narrative aside and just talk to each other as adults. But the problem is when there's this thing that they said in Men in Black, the person is smart, the people are dumb. And by that, I mean that when you get a collective together, they're all feeding off each other's emotions. And, you know, so when you get a bunch of gun owners together that I heard like, hey, I heard those people in California saying that they're going to try to take James's blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, really? When did you hear that? Well, I heard it yesterday. I did. You know, and then it's like, oh, and then everybody and then on the other side, they're building these M40 Glock 15 assault rifles in their garage. They're going to kill us all. So then the other side is like, oh, my God, the children. And then, you know, they're like, quick, hide, tell the villagers. And they're like, your neighbor owns a gun. He's got an RA flag on his truck. Ah, you know, so it's in like the two hearts that keep going at it. And so That's it's like, right. all of that needs to go away. Just all of it. Just kill it all. Fuck it all. Sorry. But <laughs> like, I just get so mad about that sometimes. And it's like, because that's what stops people from talking about having a discussion like you and I are having. And I feel that so much could get done with not only just understanding one another and seeing where the other one's person is coming from, but maybe finding an answer. Because maybe they have some sort of information that I don't, but I won't hear them if they're yelling at me or I'm yelling at them. And, you know, and that's why I feel like these late night talk shows when people are just like, blah, 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 just yelling at each other. You can't hear anything over them yelling at each other. Right. And, you know, but people watch it because I feel sometimes people like drama. So, you know, and it's just like. Well, I think I, both of us have a lot to learn from each other. You know, I, I actually learned more than I think you did that it meant to uh, or know. Um, when you were giving me that spiel on the difference between an AR-15 and an M-16. Yeah, a lot of people uh, feel the same thing. That was actually an important thing for me to learn, right, to get the difference between those two things. I had actually literally and really thought they were the exact same thing. Yeah. And so learning the differences between them and how 
some of the rhetoric that we hear is very misleading. And I have to say on both sides, right, on, on, on all ends of this. So getting past that rhetoric, getting into, um, you know, the, the real details of it, uh, the majority of this country by survey over years, of many, many surveys over many, many years, uh, shows that a majority of the United States citizens want stricter gun laws. They want stricter controls and regulations on this because they want uh, the, the common ground we do meet on is we want less of this violence. We, we want less of this going on. It really depends on what poll you see, though. Well, I, that's why I didn't want to make this show about let's trade statistics. Right. I mean, I'm, that's why I said on a long term, if you go back to polls from the 80s, from the 90s, from the 2000s, from many different sources, you find overall it, the trend is a majority of people, 60 to 70 percent of the American population that gets surveyed are in favor of, let's say, the background checks, are in favor of stricter gun regulations that will screen potentially bad actors from getting the gun in the first place, at least from legitimate gun sources. You, you know, regulating guns coming in from the, the, the Philippines or guns being gotten by people ripping off other people. Or making them know. in making 2040 in your house, you know? Yeah, making them in your house now. I don't, I don't know what to do about that. That's been going um, on for 10 years. That's not new. Yeah, but that, but is that where a majority of the guns are coming from? Is that where the majority of the illegal guns are coming from? Having, having standards across the United States would be very helpful. One of the things I see about Chicago is people bitch and moan about how Chicago is one of the most regulated cities in the, in the nation, and yet it has all this high gun violence. And anybody who looks into that quickly finds out that the reason for it is because they can go over to Wisconsin or you know uh, Cincinnati or some other place around there and get the guns and then bring them back into Chicago. So this was the same thing as when I lived in Minnesota and you have, you know, fireworks are illegal, but you can drive over to Wisconsin and get as many as you want and just drive them back over the state line, right? As long as you don't get caught, who cares? So if there, was a <laughs> if there was a universality of, of regulation, if the states would kind of come to some kind of agreement or if it was mandated from the federal level, uh, we might make some progress in that not being a thing. I personally, I moved out of California so I could get away from that um, because the things that I wanted to do and, and you know, some of the things that I'd always wanted to own, I couldn't get in my state without paying thousands and thousands of dollars. And I was like, man, it'd be cheaper to do it the illegal way. But, you know, again, being a good person, I was like, you know, I want to do that. And right. so I, I just said, you know, I'm just going to move to Arizona. And I came out here and I, and I got my, um, my Arizona ID. Uh, I went into the gun shop, you know, and filled out 4473, which for anybody who doesn't know, it's the uh, federal uh, background check that everyone must do if they buy a gun from a store or even from a private citizen. It is illegal for a felon to buy a gun if he knows he can't buy one. So technically, he's breaking the law, and that comes with a 10-year prison sentence. That's why people don't like to sell guns to felons, except for the people who don't care about what. Um, and I remember it was like the happiest day of my life, and I just – that day I was like, F you California. And I, <laughs> right. I went out to the, I went out to the range with my friends, man. And I had a good time, but you know, it's just like, I, I don't know. Like, ah, oh, you got me a weird place about that. It's like, mm -hmm. I know because 
you know, then the likelihood of, um, of the likelihood, statistically speaking, or chances would be uh, that greater that you're going to have some an incident in a place like Arizona, which is less regulated than a place like California. Actually, we have more crimes in California than we do in Arizona. Well, there's then then you have to drag in all the other factors, right? Population, who is population the population, crime rates. Los Angeles is you know bloody cesspool compared to any place in Arizona. I've so, used this. I've used real quick. I've used this analogy before. You have two rooms, right? I had a I have a bag full of machine guns. I drop the bag full of machine guns in a group of just regular people, you know, who are gun owners, whatnot. They're going to be like, oh, let's go to the range. You take the bag full of machine guns and you drop in the room full of gang members, they're going to blow each other away or something else bad's going to happen. And, you know, I just don't want to say gang members. There's anybody who breaks the law, you know, a criminal, a, a violent criminal at large. And so it's like I saw in my state that was very big, very condensed, overpopulated, big metropolis cities, you know, LAPD around the clock, um, ghetto birds flying overhead and everything. It's so weird now, Chris. I haven't heard a siren from a violent crime since I moved out of California. The only time I hear a siren is when somebody at the retirement home passes away. It's so weird. <laughs> right. But yet everybody here has guns. But it's like, again, like you said, it's the population. It's the type of people that live there. And yeah, we do have our violence. I'm not saying that any state is without its violence. But here, you know, we have more of the street crime, but then it's not a lot though. And it's because it's not a dense, everybody's spread out. Right. You know, Arizona is one of the, the, the least number of people per capita, I think of states in right. the union, right. As opposed to Los Angeles where, you know, the density of, you know, Hollywood, for example, is just, it's, it's insane. Uh, you know, that's why I couldn't get out of California fast enough after I left the Sea Org. It was just like, get me the hell out of here, man. And I will never move back to California. Not because I disagree with California's politics as such, but I just can't deal with the traffic and all right. the, and all the stuff that comes with, you know, high density population centers. So, uh, so I don't know, maybe, maybe there's, you know, maybe the solutions that we're looking for out there are something wholly different from what you or I can even conceive of right now, because we're locked into ways of thinking and patterns of thinking that are, are products of our education and culture and background. And right. maybe these kids that are, you know, marching right now and, and, and walking out and doing the work that they're doing, maybe they're going to bring, you know, better ideas to the table. Um, I, I only think I'm, my, my only thinking right now with this podcast and some of the work I'm doing on it is let's come to the table. I agree. You know, let's have discussions like this. Let's see if we can figure some stuff out. Let's trade ideas instead of bashing each other's ideas. You know, because people are like, well, this is my solution. And I go, well, I don't know that that's going to work because of X, Y, and Z. Well, what's your solution? Well, I, you know, we could try this and this. Is, well, that doesn't work. And then, you know, it's just kind of this like back and forth of, of we're going we're gonna to never come to an agreement if we're talking to each other like that. Because like one of the things I was thinking of was like, okay, say we make the background check universal that basically says that if I wanted to sell my gun to my father and I had to take him to the range, pay $50 and put a background check on him. But then I was like, if my dad hasn't done anything in 71 years of his life and then one day decides to take his block into Wendy's and kill everyone, like a background check is only as good as the person. The only people that need to worry about background checks are felons, violent criminals. The mentally, or okay, I don't want to use that word, but like, what do we call them again? Like, how do we put a number on that? How do we put a thing on that? The people that commit mass shootings are fine until 
they're not. So I know that's that's the thing. That's that mental health element, like, and it's a and it is an element. I mean, you can't deny it. It's just you know, again, let's not black tar everybody. I mean, you yourself right. mentioned you know you have uh, you're taking medications, you have panic attacks. Well, that shouldn't necessarily be the disqualifier, but I think it should be a factor in the process. But how much of a factor? How do we implement that? How do you, you know, how do you regulate something like that when in a, in a country of 300 million people? These are these are tough questions. You know, they they, are, they, they uh, defy easy solution. You know, so I think uh, I think my effort. At, at, at this is really to just sort of raise awareness and help educate. Uh, and I think that's the most constructive thing that, that anybody who has a public platform can do on this issue rather than advocate for partisanship. I think we should be advocating for partnership. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and to all my gun buddies, if, if some, if some pro gun person is like shaking your fist and calling me a traitor right now, I'm not, I'm true. I'm just trying to look outside the norm because here's the thing if people keep going and doing this then we are going to lose what we have and it's because if we didn't act in an appropriate manner because right. all we did is make memes and shake our fists so if we work with people and i'm not saying go and take anything away i'm not saying ban this or ban that but i'm just saying like just come together and at least have a discussion about it and even if you don't agree on it at least it's there and at least it shows that the other person that we can have this discussion without going all like Facebook keyboard warrior. And because exactly. that's currently where it's at and nothing happens from it. That's right. And, that's right. And it's just much ado, much noise and, uh, and a lot of angry tempers riled up for no good reason, you know? Right. And, uh, and, and we need to, we need to just need to change the whole, uh, flow of the conversation on this. So, all right, Brandon. Well, we've talked for a while. We're going to have to wrap it up here, but this has been, uh, this has been helpful, at least for me. Uh, which is the main reason I did this. I was, I'm, I'm hoping that my audience will agree uh, and that we've put something forward uh, of, of some degree of construction here rather than, than partisanship. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to do oh, this and pleasure. be part of this. No, this was awesome. And, you know, I, I, I always like doing this because, again, like, you know, as, as we've gotten to know each other, you know, I'm, I'm not that extreme guy. I'm pretty balanced and I do lean more left on a lot of things, but on guns, I lean, you know, I pretty, I'm pretty firm, but it, again, I think, I think anybody who is a gun owner, I'm just going to say this, anybody who's a gun owner and hasn't done anything wrong and lives a good life and that is a good person, they're always going to puzzle why it's like they point the finger at us. And I think it's because they know some way, maybe even subconsciously, as they, they know that we're the ones that can affect change ultimately, because we do have power. We have a lot of power. And I'm not trying to say that to sound all monster, but the NRA is very powerful. The gun lobby, everything, you know, it's like, it is a very powerful thing. And I think that the NRA could change from within. I know you want to talk about the NRA, the NRA a lot, but I know we ran out of time, but yeah. if I can say something on the NRA, the NRA is a very powerful organization. And I don't think that power can necessarily be bad. I think that the NRA can get back to its roots of being a promoter for safe gun ownership, uh, education, um, you know, preventing accidents, you know, responsible gun ownership. But I think they've lost sight of that, and I think it needs new leadership. Um, but, I think it's I, and I agree with you wholeheartedly on that because looking at the NRA through the, um, I mean, I think it was founded in like what the 1800s. I mean, it's an old organization, but yeah. up until and up until the 1970s and 1980s. Uh, you know, 
They were they were not politically minded. They were not a lobbyist group. They were not a big money group. They were a gun education group, and I got <clears throat> no problem with that. Uh, they were you know their leadership um, and their whole purpose sort of uh, was was derailed in the '80s, and they became extremely political, and they have never looked back. And now you have you know their spokesman or spokeswoman uh, Dana Loesch. Maybe a really nice woman, but when she's speaking in terms of the clenched fist of truth, you kind of go, I, you know, I don't know that I'd want to be in the same room as you to have this discussion if there was a gun on the table between us. Well, again, I don't know what you would do with it if you disagree with me. I mean, I, you know, I'm a little bit like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, she also had the, people that were. She also had people that were asking her to burn at the stake, calling her a c-word and saying all types of evil, nasty things, yeah. and. You and know, I'm not so for that like, either. Yeah. Know? And again, I, there it is. I would you know? never do that. I would never do that. Oh, I know you wouldn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think I that's that. crazy. I think that's just as crazy. So I, I get it. I get that there's the crazy on both sides. I just think that, you know, it would be nice if they would position themselves a little bit more in the middle as a group that was trying to solve the problem, not contribute to creating the problem. I don't think we're going to get it from those people. I think we're going to get it from the more people like Colin Noir. And I think we're going to get it from people like myself. I'm not trying to put myself out there or anything, but it's going to take this type of, of talking, this type of uh, just using facts, knowledge, and an understanding for both sides. And I don't think you're going to get it from, you know, I'm just going to so blunt say that. I don't think you're going to get it from the NRA or Mons Man Action. It's going to happen somewhere in between. And people that can come together that are not on extreme sides, but can sit down there, have a discussion like this, and say, like, what, here's the problem. What do we do about it? Right. How do we go about it in a way to where we don't offend anybody's rights or, you know, take anybody's rights or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, and we don't punch the wrong people, but go after the people that necessarily shouldn't be punished but observed or not observed, but taken care for, you know, taken care of, and in the most compassionate way possible. Because I'm going to say something that may be very controversial, but the person that did the Parkland shooting, he wasn't born a mass shooter. He had to get that way at some point. Where did we fail him? You know, how did we fail him? Yeah. He was somebody's child. And, you know, because I always... And that's the thing. His parents were not around. I mean, I think his father had died. His mom had recently died. I mean, so his lack of home life, there were plenty of warning signs on that particular case. Let's not generalize this and say Parkland is the same as every other one because it's not. It's unique and it's different. But yes, you're absolutely right. There were warning signs there, and we, uh, we collectively, all of us, right, uh, failed. Failed on that one pretty big time, you know? So I agree with you uh, on that. So, uh, and yeah, could be controversial, but I don't think it's controversial to say, Hey, we need to we need to be more aware. We need to be doing more about this. You know. Sure. All right, so folks, uh, go ahead and give me your feedback. Good, bad, or sideways. I I have no idea what to expect on this one, but uh, I hope <laughs> everybody can see that you know this was a an, an attempt at a rational discourse between two people who are you know can find common ground but have opposing views on some things, and yet can have a a rational conversation where we're not unliking each other or blocking each other at the end of the conversation. All right. So like I said, leave your, leave your comments on uh, YouTube or at sensiblyspeaking.com. Thank you very much for coming around and I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.